Welcome to Trevecca Community Church's Sermon Podcast Series. Each week we'll be streaming our sermon from within the sanctuary just for you. My name is Eileen Roberts. I came to Trevecca in 1978 and have been attending this church ever since. I married my husband, Kerry Roberts, in 1981, and we have three children and four grandchildren. I lost Kerry in 2018, and I've experienced God's grace uh, during this time of bereavement, and uh, I am who I am because of His grace in my life. Uh, today's scripture is John chapter 15 verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I abide in you just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask Him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Friends, Jesus is just dying to tell you who he is. He is the true vine, and we are the branches. I've been a little bit intimidated to preach on this particular statement of Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches, partly because I have a brown thumb. 
I'm really great at killing growing things that want to live. I began keeping house plants during 2020. I don't know if anyone remembers uh, world news in the year of 2020, but we all spent a lot more time at home. And I felt like I ought to do more to keep things alive in my home. Apparently, I didn't have enough little things to keep alive in my home. And because every other mom I was following on Instagram was also keeping house plants, I thought, hey, house plants, they're the new pumpkin spice latte. Let's do that. So I, I got a bunch of house plants and started trying to keep them alive. And, and, and it was fun for a moment, but that's two years ago now. And I still have to keep these things alive. You know, they, they still like need more care and work and water every now and then. And I've struggled to, to keep them alive. I have a neighbor who has amazing houseplants that are just going like gangbusters. In the summertime, she puts them out on the back patio. And, and this summer, we were sitting out on her back patio, and she's just got all these awesome houseplants that are just leafy and green and beautiful. And I, they were noticeably bigger than the last time I had seen them. And I just said, Alicia, how do you do it? How do, these are some of the plants that she has were 17 years old. She kept a house plant alive for 17 years. We just celebrated 17 years of marriage. We barely kept that alive, but she kept a house plant alive for 17 years. I said, how do you do it? I told her, I've been killing myself on these house plants. I'm, I, I, I have repotted them. I've moved them to five different spots in the house to try to figure out where the optimal sunlight is. I'm putting all kinds of nutrient pellets in there that say guaranteed to grow, but they're not growing. How do you do it? And she looked at me and said, I leave them alone. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And she said, Shauna, plants want to grow. They want to stay alive. Sometimes you just need to give them what they need and get out of their way. I, it's no wonder to me that this metaphor of a vine and planting something, tending to a growing living thing, is a fruitful metaphor in Scripture. It's used all throughout Scripture. After all, God created this earth to grow things, plants, animals, people, gave us sun and atmosphere, water and soil that we would depend on. The Old Testament prophets, in fact, loved to use this image of Israel, God's chosen people, as a vine, talked about them as a vine. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all the majors, they loved this metaphor. They talked about this vine that God took out of Egypt when they were in slavery, that God uprooted it, repotted it, if you will, uprooted it out of slavery in Egypt and planted it in Canaan, which is the promised land, planted them in this new place where they could be, grow and be fruitful grow up and spread over all the earth. In fact, some of the prophets use this image of this vine that's growing up and spreading almost like out of its own vineyard so that neighbors and people passing by could be blessed by the fruit and the shade that it provides. It was supposed to be a blessing, not just for Israel, but for all the earth, covering it with shade and sweet fruit. But it didn't quite turn out that way for Israel. In fact, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 5, he puts it like this. He said, My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, 
and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? What I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry. The vine that God planted didn't bear good fruit. And so it never grew up over the wall to become a blessing to all the earth. My parents live in the Central Valley of California. It's not the part of California that you think about with movie stars and palm trees. And in fact, it's the part of California whose climate is a lot like Israel. Now, we've got some folks that just recently went to Israel from the covenant class, and, and I'm telling you, it is very, very similar. We got to go to Israel several years ago, a, a tour of the Holy Land, and the whole time I just kept saying, man, this, this feels like my hometown that I grew up in. Really similar climate where, where grapevines grow really well and citrus fruits and things like that. And my parents, in their backyard, they share a fence with a neighbor who keeps a grapevine. Uh, they, they keep this grapevine, and the very first thing that, uh, when we get back to my parents' house, whenever we go to visit, the first thing that Tim does is he goes immediately to their backyard and straight to the back fence that they share with the grapevine to see what kind of year it's been. Because if it's been a good year and the grapevine is doing really well, it will have grown up and over the fence. And so up and over the fence, not only does my parents' fence then look beautiful, with no effort of their own, right? They just get the beauty of this grapevine kind of growing up and along it. But also, there's fruit that's accessible on my parents' side of the fence. And Tim has decided that this is the tribute for the neighborhood, right? Like the blessing that is ours. And so we'll all go back in the yard if it's been a good year and the vine is doing really well. And, and we'll show the kids how to like pick off the grapes that are ripe and ready and we'll get to, to pick them off and eat them. Don't tell my parents' neighbors. <laughs> I'm sure they don't mind this grapevine that's just overgrown and is hanging into my parents' backyard, right? We, we get to share of the blessing of that vine. This is part of, of, of having that kind of blessing. But if it's been a bad year... And, and maybe it's had to be pruned way back and cut way back. Then we'll go in the backyard and we'll notice that there's no beautiful vine that's decorating the top of the fence. And there is no fruit to go and pluck off and to eat. No sweet grapes to bless the backyard. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's saying that he is the vine that Israel was always meant to be. A vine that is rooted in the heart of God and spreads out as a blessing to all the earth. He is the vine and we are the branches, which is really good news. You know, it's really good news that we don't have to be the vine, that we are the branches, because Israel was not doing such a great job at being the vine. They were a vine that was yielding wild grapes and that was not growing like it should. And so if we just get to be the branches, 
That is really good news because it means what we have to do is just remain connected to the vine. That is the first and foremost, the most important thing that we do is simply to stay connected to the vine and be pruned every now and then. And we'll grow and flourish and, bl- and be a blessing to our neighborhood. Now, the kind of fruit that Scripture is talking about uh, can be described in a couple of different ways. Isaiah says in that chapter that we read that fruit of the true vine would be fruit like justice and righteousness, right? Like this is what ought to be growing on the vine that is a blessing to the nations. But Paul in the New Testament, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Being connected into the vine produces fruit in our lives, the sweetness of justice and righteousness that blesses our neighbors and the richness of love and joy and peace that blesses our family and friends and community. I mean, can you imagine having lives like that that are so full of those kinds of fruit that, that our neighbors, our family and friend, when they're just around us, it's like they get to just pick a grape off the vine and taste it and say, oh, wow, man. That righteousness is delicious. Oh, who knew that patience could be so sweet? Oh, really needed a taste of justice today. Thank you, right? Like that's what our life is supposed to be like. And that sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, I think that sounds really good to live a life that's bearing fruit like that. But the thing is, The rest of Jesus' teaching on how we become fruitful people living and abiding in Jesus uh, feels in some ways really counterintuitive, or it feels like the opposite of what we often think growth ought to be like. Now, I don't know exactly what it was like in ancient Israel, but I know that today, for me, and maybe for you as well, it seems like the recipe for growth, like the guaranteed growth pellets that I ought to be able to sprinkle in my pots at home, the recipe for growth seems to be to, uh, to do more than you're doing now so that you can gain more than you have right now. And to keep everything that you have right now and not lose anything so that every additional thing that you add is all gain, right? I mean, that just seems logical, doesn't it? That just seems to make sense that that this is the way we grow. We do more to gain more and we hold on to everything that we have. Okay, you're allowed to give me some feedback here, right? Like, what do you, I'm not a crazy person. Doesn't that seem like it makes sense? That seems like it makes a lot of sense to me that that would produce growth. But Jesus tells the disciples, who, by the way, are at the, the last supper with Jesus. Like this is, this is our last meal together before Jesus is gonna go to the cross and he's sharing these things with them out of his heart saying, here's what I need you to know before this meal is done. Jesus says to them that the most important thing is just to abide, to remain. And I know that that word abide, it sounds like a really holy word, doesn't it? I mean, Pamela, have you used the word abide in just a normal sentence this week? I know. I haven't either. 
So it, it feels like it's a word that should be in the stained glass up here. If you've been with us, you might remember that this series that we're preaching through, all of the I am statements that Jesus makes in John's gospel, we have them depicted in the stained glass windows that are up on this back side of the sanctuary wall. You remember this? I would point this out, but if you're, if you're new here with us, I just want to point out these beautiful pictures tell us, I am the bread of life, and I am the resurrection of the life. I am the vine, and you are the branches, is right here, is this third one. I think this might be one of my favorite windows. It's just, it's beautiful, and, and you see the, the great bunch on it, you see the vine, but it almost feels like somewhere in the stained glass, we ought to see the word abide, because abide just feels like such a holy word. It feels like a stained glass window word that we don't use in like regular life, but it's really beautiful to look at in a stained glass window, right? Well, abide is translated from a Greek word that when Jesus used it was actually a really ordinary, everyday kind of word that people used all the time. This really ordinary, everyday kind of word that in some, some settings would basically just mean Jesus is saying to them, hey, stay put. <laughs> like, sit down and take your shoes off, okay? Relax and stay a while. Take a load off. Just, just be with me. Staying put doesn't seem like a way to grow, naturally to me at least. It feels like we're supposed to always be moving. We're supposed to be doing something, something else, something that we're not doing right now. And sometimes there are things that need to be done to tend to the soil. But the first thing, the first things first is just to stay put with Jesus, to stay in his presence, to be with Jesus, to take off our shoes and stay a while which I feel like is so counter to the culture that we live in right now. I was listening to a podcast recently on, on personal finances with a kind of personal finance guru expert. And, and this finance expert was talking about the myth of the dream job. Uh, she was exploring the myth of the dream job and examining the cost that we pay every time we change jobs looking for that dream job, whatever we think it might be. So basically every time we leave an old job to get a new job, thinking that we're chasing after whatever is going to be the perfect dream job for us, it actually costs us something. And so she breaks it down in all of her kind of sophisticated ways, what it costs us to change jobs, especially if you end up having to move, uh, you, you, you lose kind of where you were on the, the vacation schedule, the benefits plan, all that kind of stuff. You lose the connections that you had before. You lose all the energy that it takes to have to learn a new job job and to start something new. And so she calculates all of this up and, and says that most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time, switching a job looking for a better job doesn't actually end up producing the growth that we want it to produce for our professional life, our financial status, or for our overall life satisfaction. It was really fascinating to hear that kind of broken down at such a brass tacks level. But it got me thinking about the way that we often operate in our personal lives and in our spiritual lives. We often think that, man, we just need to change something, right? We need to do something that we're not doing right now. We need to change up our house. 
Change a spouse. Change friends. Change churches. Find a new Bible study. Join a gym. Do something else that we're not doing right now. But it ends up being like me, repotting my plants so many times until the roots are exhausted and frayed. When Jesus is saying, hey, why don't you just stay put? Why don't you just root down and and be with me? Why don't you just stay with me? You see, if we actually believe that Jesus is the vine and that we are the branches, then friends, the vine is good. Do you hear that? The vine is good. And then we are just the branches and need to stay connected to the vine. We don't have to add another program or activity. We just need to stay put in his presence. Jesus says that a growing branch stays put. Man, well, that's hard right off the bat. But then the second thing he says that perhaps is even harder, he says that basically every branch is going to experience loss one way or another. Branches that bear no fruit will be cut off completely, and branches that are bearing fruit will be pruned so that they can bear more fruit. So no no matter what, whether you're growing fruit or you're not growing fruit, something's going to go. And I really don't like that. I mean, I really struggle with this one, it feels like a strange kind of way to, it feels like the way to growth is not to lose anything, right? It feels like the way to grow is to keep everything that you currently have. But apparently, as I was doing some reading this week, because again, not naturally a green thumb person, on grapevines and a lot of the kinds of things that grow in, in Israel, citrus trees and things like that, there are sometimes these shoots that, that are called suckers. <laughs> These shoots that produce really beautiful leafy green leaves. And they look really beautiful to the eye. In fact, they, they almost look fruitful because there's so much foliage on it and there's so much good leafy green stuff and, and it makes the plant look really nice. But there's no actual buds that could even produce fruit. It's just not going to be productive, even though it looks really good. And they call them suckers because those, those shoots that have all the good-looking green leafy stuff, they end up diverting a lot of the nutrients and water that the rest of the plant that is fruit-bearing is going to need to be able to produce that fruit. And so even though, man, it makes the plant look less attractive, that, those suckers have to be, have to be cut away. These, these limbs that look really good but are diverting energy that's needed for the new shoots to grow. Man, I've wrestled with that this last week. Because as a pastor, as a, as a Christian, someone who's been a Christian since a little kid, growing up in the life of the church, I, I'm realizing that sometimes we can spend so much energy on the busyness of of what it looks like to lead a great Christian life with all of the good family activities and and all of the things that we ought to take our kids to do and and even all of the church activities, all the stuff that looks really good and leafy green when all the while 
we're actually crowding out room for true justice and righteousness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, the stuff that this world is actually really hungry for. You know, the Greek word for pruning that's used there, it isn't just an agricultural term. Our, our English word prune, I don't really pay much attention. It sounds like it's an agriculture term. But the Greek word that's used there, it's not just an agriculture term. It's a term that can mean to like clean away and even have meanings of healing. Like to clean something away for the purpose of healing. In fact, it's got the same root as the English word that we use sometimes, catharsis. When something is cathartic, it means like you need to get some stuff out, right? Like you need to get some stuff out in order to be well, to be healed, and to be whole. I don't know about you, but I tend to want to hold on to stuff. I want to hold on to stuff that can clutter up my soul and my life because it feels like letting them go is going to be experiencing loss. And loss is so hard. But Jesus says that the way to growth for the true vine is to stay put and to be pruned. I know that that doesn't seem like much of a growth plan. I don't know that too many people would would pay to go to a conference (laughs) that would put out like workbooks and everything and be like, we're going to explain to you how to stay put and be pruned. All right, see you later. But this is what Jesus tells us will produce the kind of fruit that grows from the true vine, the fruit that God is craving to see in our lives. Because trying to make ourselves grow to force growth through doing more and just holding on to everything won't end up blessing our world. It won't produce sweet fruit for our family and friends and neighbors. It will only sow bad fruit and burned out dead branches that might even give our neighbors a bad taste in their mouths when it comes to the Christian faith. This last August, we got to host uh, a, a conference called the Empower Conference. Is Melanie, Melanie's here. Melanie helped to, she works for Empower uh, and, and got to lead some of that. And it was awesome. Several of you were there where we were learning about how to work with, uh, be in ministry with people who have experienced some kind of hurt in their past that, that now then is, is, is showing up in kind of behavioral ways. And this is demonstrated in so many ways, working with hurting people. It was an awesome conference where we were learning to be empowered to come along folks that are experiencing hurt. And, and in that conference, one of the, the things that they asked us to do uh, at the very beginning of it, they asked us to all turn our pages over to a blank page and to draw the picture of a tree. Okay? They asked us to draw a tree. I drew something like this. This was my tree that I drew. Okay, I'm not an artist, but I am an overachiever. So I... I didn't know where they were going with this little illustration, but I wanted to be sure I had done it right, that I would get an A for the assignment. Thank you very much. So I was sure to draw branches and then lots of little things that could illustrate fruit or leaves or wherever this metaphor was happening to go. I wanted to be on that train, right? And so I I drew a tree sort of like this, and I thought I had done a great job. And 
And then they asked us to show each other your trees. So we're looking at the table that trees other people had drawn. I'm not an artist, but I'm just going to say mine was pretty good. I was feeling good about my tree. And then they said, all right, raise your hand if you drew the roots. Ugh. Well, if you had told me to draw the roots, I would have drawn the roots. I want to get an A at this assignment just like everybody else does. I was very annoyed <laughs> that the instructions lacked specificity for my success. <laughs> I was very annoyed. So they went on to talk about the fact, and of course, I immediately understood, right? I immediately understood that the roots are not just an accessory to the tree. They are the tree. Without roots, there is no tree, right? They're not just an appendage. That is the life force of the tree. And so without the roots, there is no tree. So then they went on to show us this picture where you can see that that the roots of the tree are just as significant as all the stuff that we see on the surface. Which, by the way, and this is a little bit tangential, I think this is like one of the best depictions of holiness theology. If anybody wants to just give an amen and we'll keep moving. But that, I mean, this is really like what we believe holiness theology is all about, getting to the roots and not just the branches. Amen. Anybody? Hallelujah. Amen. And now I know that the wording is really small, so you might not be able to see, but up in the branches, the stuff that we see on the top are words uh, like manipulation, anger. They're, they're the things that we see. They're behaviors, right? The stuff that's above the surface that everybody can see. But the roots down underneath, on those roots are words like shame, fear, neglect, and abandonment. Right, those, those deeper experiences that tell us who we are and what we're capable of. It's those roots then that impact the branches that are going to grow. And so if we spend all of our time just focused on the branches, we are missing it. And maybe not only missing it, but possibly even making it worse, right? If we just spend all of our focus on the branches instead of the roots that are underneath, Jesus, the true vine, is perfectly rooted in love with the Father. Perfectly. And we are children of God. We are children of God. And so Jesus' roots are our roots. In fact, we have another picture of another tree. I think we're going to put up. These roots, the roots of dwelling in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, of God's love, abiding and remaining, those can be our, that's our inheritance as children of God. And even if we have to dig way down deep because they're buried under so many of the other roots that this world of brokenness has given us, these roots, like these are the roots that will grow the kind of fruit that God is looking for. And these roots are our inheritance as children of God. Jesus is saying to us in this passage, I am the vine. Which means, hey, 
You don't have to worry about being pruned. God will do the pruning. You don't have to run around trying to chop off every branch or or grow everything on your own. God will take care of that deep work. God will bring the new growth. Just stay in God's presence. Trust, obey, remain in my love. I want to invite us into a time now of guided prayer. Because as much as we can sit and explain all of this, and by the way, there's another Empower Conference that's happening in Franklin in November. I'm sure Melanie would love to give you information if you're interested in being a part of something like that. And we could do a whole teaching on more of this, but I just want to provide a space and opportunity in this moment for you to stay put, for you to abide in the presence of God, to have an opportunity to listen for the voice of Jesus. So I'm going to lead you in a guided prayer. I'm going to ask you to use your imagination. Some of you are going to love it. And some of you are going to hate it. And we are all the body of Christ. Amen. And so just bear with us. I'm inviting you to use your imagination to picture a scene with Jesus. I'll leave this up on the screen if you'd like to just look at that tree. But if you'd like to close your eyes or even if you'd like to come and find a place here at the altar where you can step away from distraction and just sit in a posture of abiding in the presence of God, open and receptive to hear from the Lord. This is gonna be our time to pray. Imagine yourself in a place that is the most cluttered and chaotic space in your life. A place that makes you feel like you need to be doing more. A place that makes you afraid of what you might lose, like you have to hold on to everything. Maybe it's an office or a closet, a garage, a car, or a street corner. Imagine yourself in that cluttered and chaotic space. As you're imagining yourself in that place, you look and you see that right in the middle of this chaotic space, there's a small table set. And everything on this table is clearly ready and set just for you. With whatever kind of coffee, tea, diet Dr. Pepper is the exact thing that you are craving. And there's your favorite kind of chair or beanbag or yoga ball. (laughs) And, And maybe there's something else there that says that this table was set just for you, whether it's a candle or an essential oil mister, whatever it is that you know this table was set for you. Can you see the table in the midst of this chaotic space? Sitting there at the table waiting for you is Jesus. And he is smiling back at you in this cluttered room and inviting you 
saying welcome. Why don't you come and sit with me, stay put for a while. What is it like to have Jesus with you there in that place? What is it like to know that Jesus wants to spend time with you? Looking across the table at you with eyes of pure love, with no busyness, with all the time in the world just for you. Take a moment to imagine what that would be like. Jesus just wants to talk to you. What do you want to tell Jesus? Here at this table, if you could tell him something, what would you tell him? What do you want to ask Jesus? Do you have a question for him? Now imagine Jesus is looking around this room, taking in all the clutter, looking at everything around the room with no shame or judgment, just observation. Now he wants to share with you some things that you could do without, some things that can be cleaned out, cut back, pruned, to make more room for times like these. He wants to talk with you and tell you about that. So listen to him. Hang on his every word.
And before you have to get up and leave the table, hear Jesus saying to you, friend, stay put in my love. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us on campus next week, we have discipleship classes beginning at 9 a.m. followed by service at 10.30. That service will be streamed to Facebook Live. We hope to see you there.